Coming up on the Branding Deep Dive podcast. It's, it's about controlling the dosage of the experience. So you work your way up gradually till you're doing some pretty crazy stuff. You know, you, you got <laughs> headphones on and you're, 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 you're singing out loud and doing a dance in front of the supermarket like a crazy person. But then you realize, but it's to, you can get that far and realize, so what? If they think I'm crazy, I'm not actually crazy just because they think I am. I'm just doing something really nutty. And then some people are going to smile at you and somebody's going to dance with you. They're going to say, what are you listening to? Like, turn, let me hear what, what you're <laughs> listening to and then dance with you. And you realize the whole world is possible if you just stop stopping yourself. This is Ahmed Chima and welcome to the Branding Deep Dive podcast. If you're new here, this is a podcast where we have in-depth discussions about what brands are doing well to drive customer loyalty and how you can take those principles and apply them to your own brand. Today, we're talking to Fred Joyle. Fred is an entrepreneur, speaker, business advisor, and number one Amazon best-selling author. He co-founded the most successful dentist referral service in the country, 1-800-DENTIST, which in his 30 years as CEO generated over a billion dollars in revenue. Fred started as an extremely shy person, too timid to even make a phone call, and transformed himself into someone who has done stand-up and improv comedy, spoken to audiences of 5,000 or more, met dozens of celebrities, and by being bold, found love, joy, passion, and success. In this episode, we dive deep into what boldness is, how people can develop the boldness muscle, managing teams, Richard Branson, and much, much more. Now, here's Fred Joyle. All right, Fred, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm excited to have you here and excited to have this discussion. For the audience that may not be familiar with who you are and your work, uh, can you give them a brief introduction? Yeah, I'm Fred Joyle. Uh, my claim to fame is I started a company called 1-800-DENTIST uh, way back in the 80s, and it ran for about 30 years. I eventually sold it uh, at, as it was nearing the end of its uh, active life. Uh, I've written a couple of books on dental practice marketing, but my latest book is Super Bold, which is, uh, if you can see it there backwards, uh, if you're looking at a screen, uh, it is Super Bold, uh, from underconfident to charismatic in 90 days. It's a systematic way that anyone can take themselves from wherever they are to uh, a much higher level of boldness and confidence in a fairly short time. Uh, and it's something I did for myself. So that's why I'm good at teaching it. And it is what I'm very excited about teaching people right now and, and having them incorporated into their lives. I do executive coaching, keynoting, uh, all of that stuff, uh, you know, out, out there in the business world and in the social world. Fred, what is your definition of boldness? My definition is uh, confidence in action. Because a lot of people think, oh, boldness and confidence are the same thing. Confidence is kind of how you feel about yourself. But boldness is actually doing stuff, taking risks, trying stuff, speaking up, stepping up, uh, challenging yourself, uh, starting a business, introducing yourself to a complete stranger, whatever that is, asking people for money for your business, all of that stuff. So. Uh, it's, but it's much more about doing things, you know, being 
stepping out of your comfort zone and taking action. And I'm assuming this is something that you had to work to develop, or is it something that uh, would you say came natural, naturally to you? It, it, you know, it didn't come naturally at all to me. I, I watched bold people when I was growing up and I thought, why are they like this? I mean, they, they, nothing seems to bother them. They're not, rejection doesn't seem to be on their mind at all. They don't worry about embarrassment or uh, anything like that. And, and I was so shy, so underconfident, hesitant, missing opportunities left and right, whether it was introducing myself to a girl or asking her to dance or calling her on the phone or doing anything, you know, in business or socially. Uh, and, and, and I missed out on relationships. I missed out on a lot of fun and I missed out on a lot of opportunities and got really frustrated with stacking regrets and thought, I've, I've got to work my way out of this. So it took me a long time emulating bold people, but really being uncomfortable the whole time trying to figure out how to do it. But I eventually distilled it down to a step-by-step process. When I figured out how I changed myself, I figured out how I could teach other people to do it too. So it, it is something you can learn. A lot of people think, oh, you're either that way or you're not. And you're really, you're, you can learn it. I consider myself a bold introvert. I, you know, I haven't changed into somebody else, but I don't miss opportunities. I step up, I reach out, I speak up, I try stuff. Uh, and I'm, I have very few regrets these days. So one of the things you highlighted here is uh, missed opportunities uh, and a couple other things. But really what I'm curious to to really dive into here is, you know, why should someone that is shy or someone that is comfortable in their little circle, why should they, um, you know, take the step to become bold or super bold? I mean, if you're happy being alone all the time and just, you know, just playing video games or whatever, but there's a whole lot more to the world. And, and the reality is life goes by. It's, it's, and, and decades go by. And all of a sudden your dreams start to really decay because you're not getting to them. You're not taking those risks that make those things happen. And what, and you're going to encounter those situations where you're going to wish you had stepped up. That you had tried something that what may, whether it's meeting somebody that could be potentially your future mate, uh, or could be a great business partner, or let's, let's take it to, you know, a very serious sort of emotional extreme. Your one of your parents passes away and they ask you if you want to give a eulogy and you say, Oh, no, no, I, I don't like speaking in public. I, I hate public speaking. I'm terrified of it you're going to get one chance to get up and say how you feel about that parent. And it's not, people get confused. It's not performance art. You got to, you need to be able to get up and say what's in your heart in front of people at that moment. And you won't get another chance and you will regret that. And that's really, you know, there will be crucial moments in your life where you could be at work where you could say, this is the time for me to speak up and let the, the, the president or my VP know what I'm capable of or what I've accomplished and that I'm willing to actually quit this job if they don't give me a promotion or whatever. You, you, you've got to be comfortable enough to make bold moves to advance in life. And 
we're we're actually social creatures. Human beings are social creatures, and social media is not really a social life. It's kind of a very artificial version of that. Uh, a lot of people who are really shy would rather say, I, I, "I'd rather be alone. I'd rather I'm happy by myself." And I don't believe them. <laughs> I I think that they've masked it for themselves, and they've they've covered it with all of these activities that they're reading, they're watching TV, they're playing video games, they're watching YouTube videos, they're doing all of this stuff that insulates them from their own inner loneliness. Now, I'm big on being alone. I get tremendous amount of stuff done when I'm alone, but I'm not lonely. I have a ton of friends. I have dated amazing women. I've, I've been married a couple of times to two really wonderful women. Because I was willing to speak up and, and approach them and try to build a relationship. And there's, there's all of these things that require boldness in life. Are you good at apologizing? Are you good at accepting feedback? The list just goes on and on and on of how you get better at life by being bold and how you're not, if you're not doing those things, you're holding yourself back. The world is not experiencing the full you. So, I mean, that's a gigantic answer to the question, but that that's, I'm very passionate about the difference it can make in your life because I know the difference it made. I, I told myself every one of the stories that everybody else is telling. I don't really want to meet these people. I read this. You got a judgment about everybody why they're not qualified to be your friend or to, for somebody you would date or whatever the heck it is or want to know. It's all, you know, most of the time you're just deceiving yourself. That's what I found. That's what I was doing. Can we can we dive into an example? I know you, you go through this in your book, <laughs> so I don't want to maybe spoil too much. But can we go in, like someone that is uh, super shy, you know, staying at home, not, you know, doing anything that's bold. What's like the first step that you really need to do? And how do you break out of that pattern that you have? The first step is really to look at two things. The first thing is to look at the times you were bold, that you did speak up or step up and did that. What came from that? And it's usually something really great. Usually it's a turning point in your life, but you can't figure out how to replicate that boldness. It was like you were finally frustrated enough where you went, uh, I'll do it. Uh, you know, let me, let me try or hi, I'm, you know, I'm a man. I, I, I really want to meet you or whatever the heck it is. And so you've got to look at those things and then you've got to look at the things you missed out on. Cause I was, I was actually talking to this nurse who part of his job was he was spending a lot of time in his career with people who were in their last days or even hours of their life. And he said, consistently, they had regrets about things that they didn't do or things that they didn't try. They didn't have any regrets about anything that they did that they failed at or they that, that they thought they should have been embarrassed about. They didn't regret any of that stuff. They regretted not fixing their relationship with their brother or, uh, you know, not apologizing for something that they had done with, with, with their spouse or gone skydiving or, or, you know, lived in Europe for a year. Like they just, they had stacks of regrets of what they didn't do. And so 
you want to make sure you're not stacking your those regrets and look at how you're already stacking them what have you missed what what when did you not speak up and it was the window closed on that opportunity and you want to look at that frustration and that's going to be your impetus to say all right i'm ready to start changing and then realize that starting very gradually you can steadily change that on a daily basis. And you're going to start as simply as, you know, I have exercises in the book that you're going to do. They're boldness exercises. And they start very simply. They start by walking down the street and smiling at everybody you meet and waiting for the person who doesn't smile back and not taking it on. Because that's what we do. We take everything on personally when it could be something totally different. This could be the worst day of that person's life. That's why they're not smiling. Or they could have bad teeth. Right? <laughs> so they don't smile at anybody. You don't have to take it on. So the exercises are about, look, I don't have to worry about what people are thinking so much about me. And instead, how am I moving through the world pursuing my dreams and, and finding the people that, that I want in my tribe? And so you're going to work your way up till suddenly you're talking to somebody in line at Starbucks and paying them a compliment. Then maybe you're going to start to do more experimental stuff. You're going to use people's names wherever you go. Anybody with a name tag, you say their name and start complimenting everybody you meet. Just randomly come up with a compliment them and then just move on like a drive-by compliment and and all and and suddenly you see that this impacts people when you do this when you use their name when you smile when you compliment them and you create this feedback loop that says wow there's, there's really nothing wrong with being a little bit more confident that people are going to respond to me and then there when when you realize the failure rate is so low on that that's one out of 50 people is not going to smile back or 10 or whatever. That's a really low failure rate. And, and, and it's the opposite of what you're thinking. Cause every time you're going, Oh, well, what if this person might not smile and this person might not smile? And eventually you say, it's it, one, it's not that bad when they don't. And two, most people smile back and everybody likes to hear a compliment. And you suddenly say, I, I kind of like making people feel good about themselves. Maybe I'll do that a little bit more and a little bit more. And then the exercises get, you know, a little bit more. It's, it's about controlling the dosage of the experience. So you work your way up gradually till you're doing some pretty crazy stuff. You know, you, you got headphones on and you're, 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 you're singing out loud and doing a dance in front of the supermarket like a crazy person. But then you realize, but it's to, you can get that far and realize, so what? If they think I'm crazy, I'm not actually crazy just because they think I am. I'm just doing something really nutty. And then some people are going to smile at you and somebody's going to dance with you. They're going to say, what are you listening to? Like, turn, let me hear what, what you're <laughs> listening to and then dance with you. And you realize the whole world is possible if you just stop stopping yourself. Because these are all exercises. These are no fail uh, exercises because there's you don't lose anything if you don't do it right because there is no right or wrong you're just doing it just like you're doing curls in the gym or something you're just trying to build your boldness muscle muscle 
and you're doing it gradually, just like you would work your way up with weights in the, in the gym or, you know, running. You know, you start with, you know, half a mile and before you know it, you're running five miles. But you didn't start with five miles because it would have paralyzed you. <laughs> so it's the same thing. You want to build your boldness muscle gradually enough where you can just constantly create this beautiful feedback loop of where you're saying, oh, this feels kind of good. This feels kind of good. I, I'm getting a little more comfortable, a little more comfortable all the time. So that's that's why you do it. And that's how you do it. Yeah, one thing that you you highlighted that I think uh, I see a, a parallel here in the like content creation space is like most people before they start creating content, they spent so much time and energy thinking about like what should I make, what should I do, like what if this person doesn't like it, what if that person doesn't like it, and then you know like all the people that have done it, they're like, hey, just just make something, man, don't, don't overthink it, right. and just keep making it, right? And then that flywheel starts kind of happening where like you, you, you start getting feedback, people like your stuff and you're like, Oh man, this is like actually fun. And I could, I could really just do whatever. Like it's, there's no, no one really cares that I did this or that, the other thing, like those things that seem so large in your head when you're not doing anything, once you are in that mode uh, and you have that perspective shift, it, you realize that, you know, no one really cares. Or maybe you have that one person that will, you know, not smile back, but for the most part, everyone is pretty supportive and, um, it's, it's really just a, a mental barrier most of the time. Um, so it sounds like you're saying that once this feedback loop is in action and you're taking steps every day uh, or, or every week, or I don't know what the cadence is in the book, but every day, uh, once you're, every day, <laughs> so it sounds like, it sounds like once you're, once you do this for 90 days, you should be in a situation where like boldness becomes routine for you or, or it's, it's, it like becomes your, your default reaction. Because because you may say, wow, this situation's really uncomfortable, but I really want to meet. There, there's Elon Musk. I want to go talk to him. And you go, wow, I'm really nervous about doing that. But the, the, the system that I teach you in the book t teaches you how to deal with that so that even though you're uncomfortable, you know that you've been uncomfortable before and succeeded anyway. And you just, mm -hmm. you just go with it. You say, all right, I got to prepare myself. What am I going to say? All right, I'm going to breathe a little bit and relax myself. And I'm, I'm just going to, you know, have the insight that he's just a human being like other people. As long as I treat him like a human being instead of like, oh, uh, I just want to, you know, kiss the hem of your garment because you're so amazing. Because <laughs> that's just, they're like, you're just freaking somebody out when you do that. Once you know how to do that, even though you're uncomfortable, suddenly you can, you can move through it because you trust yourself. You say, look, I, you know, it's just like diving off the high board. People, you know, you get on a high diving board, you're going to be nervous up there and you're going to go, yep, it's, it's, it's still high, but you know how to dive and, and you know what to do and you know to just that once you jump, things happen and you hit the water and you're fine. Um, and so you learn to trust that and it does become, your your default reaction because you say I know what I want and I'm not gonna stop myself anymore because that's mostly we stop ourselves. Mm. It's you know bold people they wait till somebody else stops them and then they find a way around it half the time. <laughs> but they are never the ones 
with t- listening to that voice that says, oh, you, you know, you could fail at this or somebody's going to laugh at you. They don't they don't register that they don't they, they know that embarrassment is a choice. You can choose to be embarrassed or not embarrassed. You can be clumsy and foolish and silly and goofy and any of those things and make mistakes and you don't have to be embarrassed about them because we're all human beings. This is, I wanted to get back to this because a lot of people hide behind perfectionism. That's they, they, it's, you know, when you were talking about like starting to do, let's say you're starting to do TikTok videos. Guess what? Everybody who ever got good at anything sucked at it at the beginning. And, but they just did it. They, they acted, they tried. Anybody who's really good. I mean, Tim Ferriss, who's the master of podcasting at this point, he says, if you listen to my first 10 podcasts, they're embarrassing. They're horrible. Um, he says, but I'm not taking them down because I want people to know that this is how you start. You start by gradually getting better, but people, you know, and hesitant and underconfident people, they use perfectionism as a way to hide and say, well, I'm not, I'm not ready to make a TikTok video because I don't have the perfect idea. I don't have something that's ready to go viral yet. No kidding. Neither did anybody else. And even if you think you have something that's going to go viral, you're wrong. It's like nobody knows what goes viral. Nobody can figure it out. It just happens. Um, but you start making them. Make one a day and post it and see how people react. And some people are going to go like, wow. And you say, you like that? I, that was like the dumbest thing I've ever could have done. But some people go, well, good for you. Keep it, keep it coming. And so, and that's, that's, that's a boldness exercise. Just try to do something, however good or bad you're going to be at it at the beginning, know that you're going to get better, but you're only going to get better if you start. I think one thing that uh, I I did want to ask is about like building teams and building this kind of culture, uh, you know, whether it be at work or let's say you have a, a business, right? Like how do you instill this culture of boldness and making sure that your team is speaking up when it's time to speak up. And also they're not afraid of voicing their concerns and they know that, you know, they're not going to, you know, this is something that you should do, right? Speak up when it's time to speak up. How do you instill that in your, in the people that you report? You have to, as a leader, you have to know that there's the authoritarian approach and there's the influencer approach. The influencer is how you're going to build a successful team in the future. You're being a dictator is, is only works if you're right all the time and you don't need ideas from anybody else. Um, so it takes boldness to be humble. Because a lot of times it's underconfidence that makes you authoritarian. It's like you can't take any feedback. You can't take any criticism. It takes boldness to accept criticism, to accept feedback. It takes boldness to invite it. You can, you can say, look, I want to know what you think. I just put this presentation together. Don't sugarcoat it. I, you know, you're probably going to hurt my feelings when you tell me what's wrong with it, but I need you to tell me what's wrong with it because I want it to be better. That's a bold move to invite criticism like that. 
but that is, you're going to get better so much faster. And the team is going to get better because everybody knows they can contribute and, and, and that everybody is inviting critique for the purpose of getting better, for creating the best result. Not about making you smarter than somebody else. It's not that kind of competition. It's a competition for the best product. It's boldness in the service of the customer, of the product, of, of the company. When, and when you create that bold safety, it's like bring on the idea. We're going to tear it apart and we may not do it. And you can't have your feelings hurt if we don't do it, but we need to know. When I, when I was CEO for a long time, it took me a while to really just let be the last person to speak instead of the first one. You know, I have all my VPs in the room and I, you know, I would roll out what I think we should do instead. And then, and then the steps. And then I'd say, okay, what do you think? And now I've learned to say, I'm thinking about doing this. How do you think we should approach it? And then I shut up. And I, and I let it, let everybody contribute something. And I just listen. I don't have any need to comment or critique or make a coherent conclusion out of the whole thing until everybody's had it, had their interaction. And then I can say, all right, I think we should do it this way based on everything you've said. What do you think? Do you think this is the best way or or I'm torn between this way and this way? Which way do you think we should go? And let them talk. That's when you do that. And then you can. And then, of course, if you've got enough experience in the business and it is your business, you can say, all right, I'm not ready to commit a million dollars to this, but I am willing to commit two hundred thousand to this. So we're going to go with the $200,000 approach, even though the million dollar approach pretty sexy. I just, you know, as, as I got to be conservative with our cash and they, but they all feel heard and that's all people really want. They don't need you to go along with everything that they want to do or every idea that they have, but they need to feel like they can be heard. They can criticize. They can have input. They can have, it gives them some sense of responsibility and control. And they're, they, it gives them some ownership in the, in the process. And then everybody has to, and it, and, and you're as a leader, you're suspending your ego because it takes boldness. Ego is about insecurity. It's a, a ego is underconfidence. It, it looks like it's power, but it's not. It's the opposite. It's somebody so afraid to, for people to find out that they may not know what they're doing or what they're talking about, that they have to be dominant. Whereas a bold person goes, I want to hear what everybody has to say. I don't have to control this. And then the other thing that's going to happen is guess what? You may not be the smartest person in the room or you may not have the best idea, but if you got, if you don't open it up, you won't hear it. Somebody in the room is going to come up with something and the whole room is going to go, Whoa, we hadn't thought about that. That's pretty good. And you get to sit there and say, look at what my team does and take no credit that the, the best leaders take credit for, nothing that goes right and everything that goes wrong. They say it's, you know, if it went wrong, I have, I finally approved it. It's, it's on me. But if it went right, you go, you know, 
Susan came up with this idea and, and, and Michael and Jamie executed it unbelievably. And you never mm. mentioned yourself. Because all, all you did, you hired them. You, you don't need the credit. You don't need to pat yourself on the back and say, and look at the brilliant people I hired. That's just ego. That's insecurity. <laughs> That's lack of confidence. The bold guy doesn't need to pat himself on the back. The bold guy's happy about what happens. The bold woman says, look at, look at how this team thrives when all I do is influence them to contribute and, mm-hmm. and, be bold themselves. You you have to reward boldness. You have to say, I mean, one of the things that Netflix does in, in their great book, No Rules Rules, is they talk about how they're, they're so disciplined about not micromanaging people and not punishing them when they try something and it goes wrong. They just say, yeah, nice try. What did we learn from that? And that's it. No repercussions, no, you know, uh, no demotions or something like that. It's just like, yeah, you're, you're supposed to try to try stuff and fail a percentage of the time because that's how we're going to get better. So what did we learn from that failure? How do we not do it again? Or is there some hidden gem in this thing that we're going to benefit from? So it's a whole different way. That's an egoless, bold way to rule a business. To rule, not rule is not the right word, but to, to manage, to, to operate. I just used rule because that was in the title, no rules, rules. I just rolled the wording. So it sounds like this method, not only are you getting the best ideas to move the business forward, but you're also forcing people to be bold themselves, right? Because now someone that maybe doesn't want to share their opinion in front of other people, now they have to, right? And whereas like it, if you're an authoritarian, they're just going to nod their head, say, yes, we'll, we'll take care of it. But in this right. situation, and, and, you're forcing them. Yeah, and, they're, and they're going to say yes, but not do it a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Or they're, they're going to do it half-heartedly, or they're going to do it because they have to, not because they bought in. And, and mm-hmm. so, yeah, it, and, and when other people are bold and it's, it, you're creating a safety zone for the people who are less confident, now you're giving them the chance to speak up and they – and 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 when nobody shuts them down, because that's got to be, that is one of the rules. It's like nobody shuts in somebody down and says, that's a terrible idea. It's like, that's when as a leader, you say, I'm sorry, you don't get to say that. That's not what this is about. You don't, you, you don't get to determine if that's a good or bad idea. This is an open session to think about. I want everybody's opinion. We don't have to decide. We don't have to score it. In fact, you're forbidden from scoring the quality of their idea. This is this is about open thinking, not not closed-minded thinking. And when you create that safety, the person who's less confident starts to test out their confidence and they start to create that feedback loop of like, "Oh, I spoke up and they actually heard it." And now their creativity expands because when you're underconfident, when you're anxious, when you're fearful, your creativity is diminished. You're not at your peak powers. Your your autonomic nervous system is in fight or flight mode. It's doing the opposite of what you need to be at your best, to be mentally and emotionally and psychologically at your best. So you're trying to create that environment at work where everyone can contribute at their best confidently without risk. 
and and then learn to take risk and say, my team really wants to take this. I really believe that we could pull this off. And you as a leader could say, eh, I think that's not going to work, <laughs> but I'm going to let them try it. And then we're going to talk about it. And you create some safety so that it doesn't put the whole business at risk. Uh, but you, you trust people to learn because when you micromanage, the secret message of micromanagement is I don't trust you. A lot of leaders don't get that. They think, no, no, I'm, I'm helping them. No, like you're nipping at their heels like an Australian sheepdog every, for every move they make. And they're not learning. They're not getting better. And they know you don't trust them to do the job because you're saying, I, I want to, before you send that out, I need to see it. Before, you know, I need to, you know, before you even write it down, I need, you need to tell me what you're thinking about that. And then I'm going to correct all of these things and then go do what you want. And then when you say, go do what you want, and then you check on it 50 times, you're not trusting them. So you, right. you're, it's, it's the worst sort of thing when you say, Oh, uh, I trust you to do this, but I, but I need to see it before it goes out. It's like, why'd you say the first part? You don't trust me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So skip that and just say, you need to, you need to see it before I, I do it. And so, uh, it, that's what, you know, it takes a, a, a certain level of confidence to let your people make mistakes along <laughs> with it takes people, you know, you, you know, you're confident people. You know, you're, you're, the thing that's going to happen is your your confident people are going to come to you for a promotion or a raise and stuff like that. They're going to get really good at speaking up about their, their value. And the bold person is good at giving honest feedback, candid feedback. People who are not comfortable and confident try to soft pedal everything. Oh, well, you, you know, you, you mostly you're doing a really great job, you know, when, when in your mind you're going, you're, you're so close to being fired right now. You like one more screw up and you're out of here, but you're going, no, you mostly do it because they, you, you don't want to make anybody feel bad, but you're going to fire them, which is going to make them feel real bad instead of saying, look, you're doing a couple of things right, but right now, you're at the the bottom end of the scale of performance of the people here. And here, do you want to hear why? I hope so, because I'm going to probably tell you if you don't want to hear why, then I need to know why you don't want to hear that. And that, and that's, that's a bold conversation because it's not easy. It's a lot easier to just have HR fire the person. Like, uh, I'm tired of what he's doing. Just, just let him go. It's like, oh, how about telling him, you know, maybe he doesn't, maybe he thinks he's doing exactly what you want him to do because you weren't clear about it, or he thinks he knows and he's not, or you've shoved him in a position that he's not that good at. And it's not safe to tell you that he doesn't know how to do it. So he tries to do it. Instead, grow people, hmm. trust people, give them room to fail and grow and, and learn from their mistakes. And the whole business learns from that. We got off on a huge tangent, a management tangent, but you know, no, that was, that's, that was that's, great. That's about, that's about, that's how you run a business in the, a successful business in, in this day and age. I, I did want to shift gears here a little bit. There were a couple of things I wanted to ask you that are not necessarily related to uh, boldness. Um, one of sure. them is in your, in your bio and kind of going through your website. One of the things that came up repeatedly is that you've beat, you've beat Sir Richard Branson in chess. Uh, I was curious. I'm sure there's a story here. I just oh, wondering yeah. how this happened and 
uh, you know, is he good at chess or are you like a... Yeah, he loves chess. He's an avid chess player. And uh, I was down on Necker Island, which is uh, one of the islands he owns in the British Virgin Islands. And he rents it out sometimes to business people. So I was with a business group that had rented it out. It's only 30 people at a time can go there. Um, and sometimes he's there and sometimes he's not because he lives on a different island right across the, the, you know, from, from Necker. And, uh, so he was there and we were all playing tennis and I hadn't played tennis in a long time. So I, I ended up playing and then rupturing my Achilles tendon. Uh, like on the second day we were there, we, we were there for six days. And so I'm completely laid up and I called the surgeon and he said, don't bother flying home. He says, it's not, you might as well stay the rest of the time. He said, because it's not going to heal on its own. He says, you get to me in five days. I'll do the surgery on it. We'll fix it. So I'm basically sitting there on, on one of the, 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 lounges watching people play tennis i got my leg up and richard has heard that i've ruptured my achilles so he comes over to me and he says oh this is such a bother that this this happened to you uh do you happen to play chess and and i and this is the bold move right because i hadn't played chess in 40 years and and the the shy fred would have went i i don't play chess i haven't played in a long time instead i said Oh yeah, I play chess. And he goes to somebody, Hey, Hey, bring us a chessboard. Bring us a chess. He sits down in the lounge chair with me. Uh, and, and we start playing chess. Now I'm so out of practice with chess that I'm playing such an unorthodox game that he can't figure out what the hell my strategy is because I don't have one. And I end up checkmating him and he's like looking. I went, that's check. I said, actually it's checkmate. And he looks and he goes, what? And he calls me this terrible name, right? Um, and he immediately sets the chessboard up again to start playing again. And we started talking. He loved to talk about politics. And so, and I did too. So we got into, you know, this was right before the, the previous presidential election. And so he was, he, we were talking about all that stuff. And, but, I also knew how to talk to famous people. Like I, I, you just treat them like a regular person. Don't interview them. Don't, don't fire away with questions at, or, or, or don't be a, a, a drooling fan. Just be normal and, and ask, talk about what might be interested to them. He's a very funny guy. He's a very playful person. And he's very competitive too. So he beat me the next game and every other time he played me. <laughs> But for the rest of the week, he would come looking for me to to find me to play chess and to to chat. And he would at dinner, he would say, here, sit across from me. There'd be like 30 people. And he'd say, here, sit across from me because he, he liked talking to me because I didn't interview him. So mm-hmm. it was the whole experience was a real example of, of a lot of what I talk about in the book is like you need to develop these social skills and your confidence and boldness for these incredible situations and opportunities that could come your way and are going to go right by if you don't Mm. do the right thing and you don't behave in the right way, you don't have the skills. So yeah, uh, um, that, that is my uh, chess claim to fame for my, my billionaire (laughs) claim to fame. But I, but 
you know, I didn't treat him like a billionaire. I treated him like a, like a guy. And I've met three or four billionaires at this point in my life. And they're, most of them are just amazingly generous, kind-hearted people. Last couple things I wanted to touch on. So like our primary listeners, I would say, are small business owners or people looking to get in that space. And you've run a you know, 1-800-DENTIST. Uh, I read here you guys did a billion dollars in revenue. Uh, what I'm most curious about, and I think what I've been trying to spend most of my time learning about is like in the early stages, how did you guys really uh, get your first customers? And I guess like, I know you guys are working with dental practices. Like how did you guys work with them to get their first customers? Like let's say a dentist, you know, opens up shop. How do you get that first one, two, three, four, one, you know, 10 customers or patients, I should say, whatever the correct. Well, I mean, we, we were, we needed dentists as our clients. Dentists were the ones paying us and we were running advertising to find patients for them. So what we did, we need, when we started the business, we needed to find that first group of dentists in LA that would actually pay us to do this. And we went through a couple hundred guys to a couple of men and women that, uh, before we found 20 that would go along with this and, uh, and we just, it was door to door. It was massive amount of rejection. And like, I don't advertise or like you're ruining the profession. Like they, we heard everything persistence. The only thing that I've consistently succeed seen in everybody I know who succeeded is they were persistent when anybody else would have stepped off. They stepped up. They said, I will, when the marketplace tells me to stop, that's when I'll stop. But otherwise I am going to keep hammering away at this and I may have to pivot a little bit or I may have to, you know, raise more money or whatever it is, but I'm, I'm, I'm all in, I'm, I'm going at it until somebody stops me. Now, eventually the marketplace may say, we're not interested. You also have to be smart enough to listen to that. Uh, but you can't. You can't create a business in your head and hope it's going to work. It only works when you take it to the market and listen to what the market tells you and, mm. and then learn from that. And, and that's why the whole ready, fire, aim approach is so important because you don't know what people really care about. You could say, I, I really like, you know, uh, flat donut holes. I like them when you take them and you flatten them. I think that's the best food there is. Guess what? You may be alone or you may find out millions of people have been waiting for a flat donut hole, but you have to test it out. You can't just go by, oh, this is what I love. I, I, I like really itchy shirts. I think I'm going to make itchy shirts. I think people are going to love them. Man, maybe not. I don't know why you like them, but you do. Okay. So you, you got to, you got to try stuff. You got to know that your business could fail completely and there's nothing wrong with that because in that you're going to learn something about the marketplace. If you sit back and say, okay, failed completely. What's, what can I learn from this? What can I do better? What did the marketplace tell me they actually cared about? I had a, a good friend. She had invented a device for the dental industry and she had a whole vision of what it was good for. Nobody cared. Nobody wanted it. And then one dentist said, 
you know what I'm using it for, which is this just a whole different use than you had imagined. But I love it for this. Her whole business is now about that. And she's selling millions of them because she thought she knew what it was good for. And somebody told her what they wanted. And <laughs> she just, she didn't say, no, no, it's not for that. It's for this. She went, tell me more about why you like it. And then she found, did more people like this? And more people said yes. And then it just, it rolled from there. Now, she could have given up at a certain point and said, not enough people are buying this. But instead, she had one ear to the ground and said, there's something here. I just didn't know what it was. And that's, that's, that's what entrepreneurship is, is you try stuff, learn from it, pivot, try something else or try to make it better or restart in a d different direction. But it, it's not about giving up if, uh, like uh, I, I, that's hard enough. I've worked, I'm working 60 hours a week. That's too many. I can't keep this up. You're going to, you're going to work at it till it works and then you're going to succeed. That's awesome feedback. Uh, really good practical tips. It sounds like it all comes back to being bold in a certain sense as well, right? Even in business, right? Getting your, not being bogged down by rejection, uh, being bold enough to pivot your idea when your initial, uh, you know, idea you had for it is is not what customers are using it for. So, Brad, appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. Uh, where can the audience find you, your book, uh, and get in touch with you if you if they want to learn more about you? So, my website is fredjoyle.com uh, is where they can uh, see my speaker reel on for doing keynotes. I do executive coaching for CEOs. Uh, and if, if they want to chat with me, uh, they can book a half an hour with me and I'll just talk through whatever's going on with them. If they say like, look, I'm a VP or a, I'm an executive or somebody I'm struggling with, with my lack of confidence, I'll talk to you for a half an hour. Just book the time. Um, you can buy the books on Amazon, either as a hardcover or an audible, which is me reading the book or, uh, on Kindle. So it's whatever method you use to uh, absorb books, it's that way is there for you. Uh, if you do the digital form of uh, whether it's Kindle or Audible, you can download the exercises because you're going to want a physical copy of the exercises. So you can download a PDF of the exercises. You can also read the first chapter of the book, uh, download that free on the website as well. So that's how you get a hold of me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Fred. If you missed any of those links, don't worry. I put all the links in the show notes. Now, as always, I have my key takeaways from this episode. But before we get into that, I want to share a clip with you from our discussion with Shaheen Cheyenne on achieving unreasonable success. Is hunger something that you can teach or uh, is it like a binary? You have it or you don't. No, you can't teach hunger. You can't teach hunger, but you can develop it. You can develop it through discipline. And you have to earn discipline. You have to go out there and do things that are hard. You have to go out there and put yourself in a zone of discomfort. You have to seek discomfort because you know it's going to do you good. You have to start doing things that 
put you in a position that you might not want to be in. Not anything that would make you feel unsafe, but just uncomfortable enough to know that you'll be okay. If you enjoyed this discussion with Fred, I am sure you'll also enjoy the discussion with Shaheen. Check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. It is episode number 35. Now here are my key takeaways. Number one, boldness can be developed by intentional practice. If you would describe yourself as shy or timid, start small. Do something simple like just smiling at people that you come across. If you're having difficulty starting, think back to a time where you were bold. What were the results of that? And number two, lead as an influencer, not an authoritarian. Take the time to listen to your team before you start offering your ideas. This will go a long way in developing team morale and getting your team's buy-in. And that is all for this episode. If you enjoyed this discussion, please consider leaving a review and sharing with a friend. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.